Well, hey guys, welcome. And as Justin said, I've been on staff here for two months, two months. And within the first few weeks that I was here, Justin came to me and said, hey, what do you think about preaching a sermon um, soon and just telling your story? What do you think about that? And I thought, that sounds boring, Justin. Like, who in the world wants to hear me talk about myself for 30 minutes? But he was like, well, no, no. I mean, I want them just to kind of get a feel for who you are and what you're about. And so I understood what he was trying to say. And so just to let you know where we are going, I'm going to share a little bit of my story interwoven around three pretty big truths that have shaped me and who I am and really what I'm still wrestling with today. But let me start with the most important thing, um, my family. There's a picture of them on the screens here, and that is my wife, Elizabeth, and we have been married for 20 years. Elizabeth is the most amazing person that I know. No one has influenced me more in my relationship with Jesus Christ than she has, and I thank God for her. We've got four kids. Charlie is our oldest. He is 16, and he's a junior in high school. Annie is our only daughter, and so you can pray for her. As you see that, a picture full of boys up there. She is 15, and she's a sophomore. Graham is 12. He turns 13 next week. He's in seventh grade, and Cole is our youngest. He's 10. He is in fifth grade. Our family, there is a lot of energy. There is a lot going on with our family. If you were to be a fly on the wall during one of our nightly dinners, you would hear three conversations, three loud conversations going on at the same time, one over top of the other. Uh, we, we don't care. And so um, it, it, there is a lot of um, energy going on there. But I love my kids. I am proud of them. It's tough when your dad comes to you in the stage of life where they are and you say, hey, I think God wants us to move. Um, I know you've got friends here but I think God wants us to move to another state. We were living in Central Florida at the time. I think God wants us to move and go to another state. And you're gonna have to meet new friends at school and you're gonna have to meet new friends at church and you're gonna have to say goodbye to the ones that we have. And they have handled it so well. I am so proud to be their dad. Well, let me just share with you a few random facts about me. If I could only eat one food for the rest of my life, it would have to be pizza. The greatest drink known to man is Dr. Pepper, and you cannot beat the 23 flavors of Dr. Pepper. My favorite gas station food are combos. So if we're going on a long trip uh, and we stop at a gas station, I'm going to get a Dr. Pepper and pizza-flavored combos. Um, we will definitely be doing that. If I could sing like any male singer of all time, it has to be Stevie Wonder. And the greatest television show of all time is actually a tie. It's actually a tie. Believe it or not, the greatest TV show of all time is a tie between The Dukes of Hazard and The Cosby Show. Now, I know that those two shows cannot be more opposite of each other, but I grew up in the 80s, and those were my favorite TV shows growing up as a kid. Now, those are just some random funny facts about me, but on to a little more serious note, there have been a few things that have really stamped my life growing up in East Tennessee, and those things are family, faith and church, and sports. I grew up a Baptist preacher's kid in Knoxville, Tennessee, and overall growing up in the church as a preacher's kid, it was a positive experience for me. I... Um, 
I share this story sometimes. I was about eight or nine years old, and my dad was closing out a service. We had just had the Lord's Supper or communion, and um, he was saying a prayer, closing it out. And then as soon as he was done, me and my friends, we ran up front to the table that had all of the elements from the Lord's Supper. And then we stacked the grape juice, the little tiny grape juice cups, we stacked them all up in a line and we began to mimic a scene that we had seen in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the scene that we were mimicking was when Indiana Jones was trying to find his long lost girlfriend, um, Miriam, because she had this gold medallion and he needed the medallion to be able to locate where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so he flies from the United States to Tibet and he finds Miriam in a bar doing a drinking contest, seeing who can throw back as many shots as they could uh, against another man in the bar. And so here I was, eight or nine years old, with my friends running down front. As soon as my dad said amen, down front, we lined up the grape juice, little shot glasses, and we were throwing back shots of grape juice and turning those cups down, and we were proud that we were doing it. And I'm sure that my mom and dad, when they saw me, they just kind of looked at me and they would roll their eyes like, what on earth is he doing? But the reason why my church experience overall was positive was because my mom and dad, they let me be a kid. They let me be silly. Don't get me wrong. They disciplined me. You can ask my parents. You can ask my family members. I got disciplined a lot, but I was disciplined when I did something wrong, not out of an expectation of how other people thought a preacher's kid should act. And for that, I am forever grateful um, to my mom and dad. I am an only child, and to this day, I have a good relationship with both my mom and my dad. I became a Christian at the age of five. When I was older, I really questioned that, like, can you be five and and really be a Christian? But the more that I look back on it, and uh, for what the scripture said, from what I understood at being five, that was when my faith journey began. In middle school and high school, I would say that uh, my relationship with, with God would best be, uh, best be considered more of a bartering one. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I would choose to make the right moral decision, and then it was God's job for her to say yes when I asked her to prom. Okay, anybody else uh, tracking with me here? I mean, when I go to that party, God, I'm gonna choose to not get drunk, but then it's your job to help me make the all-star team. And so my relationship with God would be considered like a Coke machine. Um, I put the money in, I push the button, and then it's God's job to give me what I want. Now, I'm not condoning that way of thinking. I'm just letting you know, growing up in the 80s, early 90s, preacher's kid in the church, this was how I was working out my faith. I am a huge Sports fans, sports would be considered um, a hobby to me. Some people like to work on boats. They like to work on cars. Me, I love sports. When I was younger, I used to play a lot more. Now, the older I get and the more kids I have, I play less and watch more. Um, Baseball was huge to me. I played baseball all growing up. I played competitively from the time I was five to the time I was 20. I am a huge University of Tennessee Vols fan. Um, I graduated from there in 1999, and so I am any and all things uh, Tennessee Vols sports, especially football. Um, My wife will get on to me at times uh, when I will gently critique Tennessee and how they're playing when I watch them, 
And she'll say, hey, you need to really watch what you're saying because as the kids grow up, they might not be a Tennessee fan because of you. And I'm like, hey, if my kids grow up when they're adults and they don't become a Tennessee fan, it's not because of me. I've stayed true to them through thick and thin. If they do not become a Tennessee fan, it's because Tennessee has not put a good product on the field for the last 12 to 15 years. But hopefully, Coach Hype has got us going in the right direction. So through thick or thin, I am a huge um, Tennessee Vols fan. So moving from personal to more ministry life, um, you probably need to know that I got into ministry for all of the wrong reasons. I didn't want to get a real job. And so when I was 20 years old, it was a no-brainer to me. Do I want to work a nine-to-five or do I want to get paid teaching kids Bible stories that I was raised on that I knew by heart and I could take them to Six Flags and Whitewater and Kings Island and get paid for it? To me, it was a no-brainer. And so um, when I was in college, that was a season where God really used that um, to grow me. I had just finished up playing two years of baseball at Roan State and I transitioned uh, to UT. I didn't play baseball, I was just going to school, spent a little longer there than I probably needed to. Um, but at the age of 20, um, I got started in local church ministry. And I am 45 years old right now, and I have been in local church ministry ever since. And like I said just a little bit ago, God used my college years as a way to really grow my faith in him for whatever reason. I know for some people, when they get in college, people will walk away, they begin to question, um, they have different experiences. But for me, God used that time in my life to really grow me in my relationship with him. Within six months of me being a youth pastor, um, I really felt like God was telling me, hey, these kids, these students, they're going to get their view of me and the church through you. And so I need you to take this a little more seriously than what you're doing. And I began to read the scriptures a lot more for myself and because I wanted to, not because somebody was telling me to. And I began to read books about God, about um, theology, and books that really helped shape and influence me because that's what I wanted to do. And it was at this time in my life that my perspective about God changed. I was, in, um, I was introduced to a truth that really helped um, grow me in my relationship with God. And that truth is this, was that I was created for God's glory. I was created for God's glory. I read passages of scripture in the Old Testament, um, in Isaiah, such as the one found in Isaiah chapter 43, and in verse seven, God is saying, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. My people who I formed and made, I created them for my glory. But then the apostle Paul in the New Testament, as he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter how big, no matter how small, your life and what you do, you are supposed to do it for the glory of God. But then Jesus himself says this. Matthew records Jesus um, talking about the Christian life in Matthew 5, 
16, talking about how we live our life and um, what we do. And in Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, how you live your life, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then again, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, in another letter, letter to the church at Colossae, in Colossians 1, um, 16, listen to what Paul writes, talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And when I came across these passages of scripture, Jeremy's translation is this. Hey, you need to get yourself out of the center of your life. You need to get yourself out of the center of your life, Jeremy. And this truth really revolutionized my way of thinking, not just about my life, but about Christianity. When I was 20 years old, I had thoughts like, man, what, what is life really about? I mean, not just life in general, but what is my life about? What is the purpose here? What is, what is going on? And what this truth taught me was that God wanted to use my life for something bigger. It wasn't just about me trying to make right decisions and then getting to go to heaven when I died. Oh, man, it was, it was way bigger and better than that. It was about God wants to use every aspect of my life for him. I'm a part of something bigger. And I realized that I needed to take myself out of the center of my life, and I needed to put God at the center of my life. I needed to, I needed to view life, my life, and life in general uh, through his lens and what he wanted and he desired for my life. And I found that when I did this, when I started coming around this truth, it gave me some much-needed boundaries in my life, but it also gave me some much-needed peace and freedom that I needed as well. And I, am, I was far from perfect, okay? Please, you need to hear me say this. When I was, I mean, even now, but when you, if you would go back in a time machine and saw me when I was 20, 21, 22 years old, you would shake your hair like, what in the world? All I'm telling you is, is that this was going on in my mind. I was working out my faith. I was wrestling through this, and it was revolutionizing my way of thinking about God. And so the question that I have to ask myself, even to this day, even to this day is, hey, Jeremy, who are you living your life for right now? Who are you living your life for today? Is it me? Is it, is it, is it about Jeremy or is it about God? And so that was a huge truth that really changed my life when I was in college. After I graduated from UT, I moved to the Atlanta area as a high school youth pastor, and this is where I met my wife, um, Elizabeth. Her family uh, was attending this church. She, uh, she was finishing up her senior year at Sanford University, so go, go Bulldogs if any uh, Sanford people are out there. Uh, we were married, and then about a year or so later, we decided that the next best step was for me to go to seminary. And so seminary is a grad school that teaches you theology. And so it's where people go if you want to be a pastor or a missionary or a theology professor. And so we decided that the next best step for me was to go to seminary. So we sold um, pretty much everything that we had. We'd only been married for a year. We had just bought a house and we sold it a year later and we moved up to North Carolina and we didn't know 
anybody. But while I was at seminary, there was another truth from the scriptures that really came alive to me at this time. And this truth really helped me to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that truth is this, is that Jesus is the greatest treasure in my life. Jesus is the greatest treasure in my life. Um, I read this parable that Jesus told about the Christian life and what it was, what it was like to follow him. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I had, I'd read this parable numerous times before, but for whatever reason, it really just kind of popped out at me. And it was Matthew, it's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so Jesus is describing what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven, what it's like to follow him. And he describes it in such a way that it's like a man who is walking along in a field and he stumbles across this treasure. And he realizes that the treasure is so valuable, it's worth far more than anything he has. And he wants the treasure. And Jesus says it was with joy that the man went and sold all that he had to purchase the field because the field had the treasure in it. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> that is not how I view Jesus. That is not how I view following him. Up until this point in my life, following Jesus was more like a duty. It was just what I had to do. It's just what you're supposed to do. It wasn't really a joy or a delight. And I had to ask myself this question, well, who's wrong here? Is Jesus wrong or am I wrong? And I had to wrestle with this inwardly. And I knew, I knew that the problem was with me in my heart. And I have um, really spent a lot of time, you know, wrestling with that. And I, I, I found this truth all throughout Scripture, um, not just Jesus saying it, but if you, look in the, if you look in the Old Testament, David says this in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. He says this. David says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David is saying, you make known to me the path of life, God. You show me the way to go. And where does that lead when you follow his ways? It leads to the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. <laughs> and then just a few chapters later in Psalm 43, verses three and four, listen to what the psalmist writes. It's fascinating. Send out your light and your truth, God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Show me the way to go. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So God, show me the way to go. Show me how I'm supposed to live. And when I do, it leads me to you. And when I get to God, what does the psalmist say happens? Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And then the Apostle Paul, as, as he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi, this is, this is his take on it in Philippians chapter three. Listen to this. Philippians chapter three, 
starting in verse seven. Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? Why, Paul? In order that I may gain Christ. And that truth really, I was like, wow. I, I don't view Jesus in this way, but I want to. I want to. God, help me to trust you and what you say about you and me. Help me to follow your ways. And that it even changed the way that I viewed sin in my life. Up until this point, I just thought you weren't supposed to sin because God said so. I mean, you, you, God says not to not do this, and you don't do it. I mean, and while that's true on some levels, it's, it's way bigger and better than that. This, this truth helped me to wrestle and fight sin in my life because I, I wasn't, um, God is not some joy kill. He actually wants you to have more joy. God's not trying to hide something from me. Rather, rather, the scriptures teach us he wants something for me. God doesn't want me to have less joy. He wants me to have more joy in my life. And um, the famous theologian and author C.S. Lewis, he states it this way. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And God was saying, hey, Jeremy, you're settling, man. Nobody wants you to be happier than me. Nobody wants you to have more joy in your life than me. But you're settling. You're putting other things in your life as a priority over me. You're treasuring other things besides me. And so that truth um, was, was really changing me. And, and to, be, to, to be clear, nobody does this perfectly, okay? I don't even do this perfectly now. Nobody does this perfectly. However, what I realized that this truth was so important, I needed other people in my life to help remind me of this and to encourage me to live my life in this way and to help me to discover that truth. And so while this really um, came alive to me while I was at seminary, I also realized um, during my seminary years how much I loved small groups. Um, the church that Elizabeth and I, that we chose to attend, the primary way that they disciple people or helped other people to grow in their relationship with God was through small groups. And we'd never really, we'd never really been a part of a real small group before, and it was very eye-opening to us. We saw people that were providing care for other people. Um, we saw other people contacting other people throughout the week and encouraging them to live their life for Christ. Um, people were really doing life together. It was really exciting for us because people were taking off their masks and they were being real. They were being vulnerable and they weren't judging us. And our faith grew tremendously because of it. 
But not only did groups, uh, was it very eye-opening to us or was it very uh, exciting to us, if I'm honest, it was, it was challenging for me because I wouldn't have chosen to hang out with these people that I was in group with. <laughs> I've, I've been in multiple groups where, where I would say that. Sometimes my wife has to get on to me. She's like, that's your job, Jeremy. Why, are you, why, are, why, do, you, why do you feel that way? <laughs> Just here's the deal. God has taught me so much through groups and has grown me so much in my relationship with him but God has also used groups to help me to grow in my love and empathy towards other people, especially, especially people that are not like me. And I can remember thinking when I was in seminary, you know what my dream job will be? I think I'd like to be a pastor of groups somewhere. I think I'd like to be a pastor of discipleship. I mean, I think that would be a dream job for me. And so after I got out of seminary, um, I went to be on staff at a church in the Atlanta area. Um, I was a student pastor, um, did that, and then I transitioned and I was on staff at a church in Atlanta, and that's where I met Justin, and I transitioned at that church from student ministry to working in um, adult world and adult groups world, uh, specifically with married small groups. And then I transitioned back to the church that I came from in Central Florida, and I helped them to develop a portable groups ministry because they were going to four locations. Um, And I've been in local church ministry, as I said earlier, for 20 plus years. And it has been beautiful, and it has been tough all at the same time. Um, I have seen the Lord work and move in so many incredible ways. This is not a pastoral exaggeration. I have seen thousands of people's lives changed by Jesus. But if I'm honest with you, you also need to know that there's been times that it's been very difficult. And I've wanted to quit. And I've thought to myself, is being a pastor even worth it? (laughs) Is it really even worth it? And a few years back, about six or seven years ago, I was uh, reading a book, and there was a quote in the book, and there was a truth in that quote that really um, shaped me. Um, And I was going through a difficult time in ministry, and I'm still processing what this truth means to me, but um, the truth was this, is that God is more concerned with who I'm becoming than what I'm doing. God is more concerned with who I'm becoming than what I'm doing. And this, this rocked me and caused me to really process, you know, what, what does this mean for my life? Um, just to share with you a, a quick little ministry story. Um, I was 23 years old. I was in my first full-time youth pastor job. Um, and I can tell you, it is a lot different being a full-time youth pastor when that's your job than when you're a part-time youth pastor at the church you grew up in, and everybody knows your name, and everybody loves you. Um, And then I was somewhere where nobody really knew me, and I was trying to figure this whole student ministry thing out. Like I said, I was 23 years old, and and what does it look like to really help students to grow in their relationship with God and to um, engage with parents and then help develop adult leaders? And and I I was trying to figure all that out, and I'd been there for about a year, eight months to a year, and I felt like I was turning a corner. I was starting to kind of feel good with what was going on. 
and I was uh, brought into a meeting. Uh, One of the associate pastors um, asked me to come into his office. He was my supervisor. And the first part of the meeting, it was just a lot of surface-level stuff. But then the meeting turned, and he looked at me, and he said, Jeremy, we think you're doing a pretty good job here. Um, Right now, you're averaging about 120 kids. But in the next six to eight months, we think that you need to be averaging about 180 kids. And don't tell me that God doesn't care about numbers, because if he doesn't care about numbers, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have a book in the Old Testament called Numbers. And that was it. That was the meeting. And I, I got up. I was crushed. I walked back to my office, closed the door, and I cried, because I was like, I don't I have no idea what I'm going to do. Are they going to fire me in six months because I can't average 60 more kids? What's going on here? And I can remember thinking to myself, I will never, I will never feel like this again. But what's interesting is, is that we live in a world, we live in a culture that puts so much emphasis on results accomplishments. Your identity is found in what have you done? What have you accomplished? And even in church world, even in ministry, that happens. But the interesting thing is, is that that doesn't seem to be the heartbeat of God and what's most important to him. You read passages of scripture found in John 1, 12. Um, John records it this way, one of Jesus's closest friends. says this, but to all who did receive him, so to all who did receive Jesus, the people who trusted in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Colossians 3, the apostle Paul states it this way, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have trusted in him, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you have trusted in Christ, set your minds on things that are most important to God. Don't set your minds on things that are what the world deems is most important, what the world prioritizes. Set your mind on what God prioritizes. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's just what he's saying is, is that we are post. We come after Jesus's death and resurrection. And so because of Jesus, we have direct access to God the Father. We have direct access to God the Father and his glory. And so we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. And so when you read the scriptures, Christianity seems to be more about who are you becoming? The priority is you are God's son. You are God's daughter. Not based on anything that you have done, but what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now go live 
out of that. Let me tell you another little family story. Recently, before we moved here, my youngest son, Cole, um, his flag football team, they made it to the championship game. And in our little town in Central Florida, flag football, for whatever reason, it was a big deal. There was going to be over 200-something people there watching a bunch of fourth and fifth graders play. I was the coach, um, and the week leading up to the game, it was Monday, and Cole would just walk around the house like, I, I, sure, I sure hope we win the championship. I sure hope we win the championship. And I would say, hey, me too, Cole. Me too, buddy. Tuesday, walking around, I, 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 hope, I hope we win the championship. I sure want us to win the championship. I, I, I want to win the championship bad. Yeah, me too, Cole. Wednesday, I, I sure want to win the championship. I hope, I hope we win the championship. I've been playing for four years, and I, and I know we're leaving, and, and I want people to know that I won the championship here. And, I want, and then it hits me. I'm like, okay. There's a little bit of identity here kind of creeping in to my little uh, nine and 10-year-olds, or he was nine, 10, nine, 10 at the time. He's 10 now, but it's like creeping in to his soul just a little bit. And so as we're driving to the game, getting pumped up, listening to some ACDC Friday night, pull in the parking lot, turn off the... Ignition, and Cole goes, I sure hope we win that championship. Gal, I want to win it really bad. And I say, Cole, hey, hey, look at me. Look me in the eyes. I love you. I love you. I am proud of you. I am proud to be your dad. I'm proud to be your dad, not based on what, what, nothing that you do. It's just because you're my boy. And I love you, and I am proud of you. So go out there, play hard, be a good teammate, and when it's over, regardless of what happens, we're going to go celebrate, and we're going to go get some pizza after the game. Too many times, though, I'm just like my little boy. In ministry, in life, my identity can be found in things that I do. It can be found in accomplishments. And when that happens, when that happens, I can sometimes be reminded, God will say, hey, Jeremy, Jeremy, hey, look at me, look at me. Remember the cross. I love you. I love you. I am proud of you, not because of anything that you've done because you're my boy, and I love you, and nothing is going to change that. So hey, do the best you can, play hard, be a good teammate, love people well, and then when you're done, we're going to go celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We might even get some pizza or some pizza-flavored combos after that. But you need to know that I'm still wrestling with this truth. I'm wrestling with this truth, um, and I've got a long way to go. But I'm trusting in what Jesus says about me and not what I think and feel about myself a lot of times. 
And I think I said this earlier, but this truth really is, is one of the, the big reasons why I'm at Rock Point. I can remember at the beginning of this year, um, Justin and I were having conversations and we were praying through what, what would it look like for me to come on staff here. And then as I began the interview process and I met the staff and I met the elders here, and this truth was a big deal to them. And Justin and I, we had some honest um, conversations with each other. And I could just tell this is what Rock Point wanted to be about. And I can remember thinking, I mean, I, I know I can come here and help Rock Point, but maybe more importantly, <laughs> maybe more importantly, Rock Point can help me. to become the man that God wants me to be. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. My family's excited to be here. Um, I really, it is, it is my desire to help create a safe community where anybody, and we mean anybody, can discover and develop and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's my desire it's my desire, no matter where you are on your faith journey, if, if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, or you've been following him for 30 years, because of what the scriptures say, Jesus desires to take you and to develop you and to deepen your relationship with him more and more. And Rock Point wants to be a safe community for this to happen. And so my hope for you and I, my, my hope for us is, is that we would realize that we are created for God's glory and that Jesus really is the greatest treasure in our life. And more than anything, um, God is more concerned with who we're becoming than what we're doing. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, there's no way that we can possibly fully realize just how much you love us. We know what the scriptures say, and we know what is true. But to, to know that you love us and you care for us because of what Jesus has done, you love us just because you love us. God, help that truth to change me more and more. God, help us to be aware of your presence with us. And so God, um, we thank you and we praise you. And may you help us as a little church here in Chattanooga, help us to glorify you and to be a place of grace for people to grow in their relationship with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we did win the football game, for those of you guys that were wondering. <laughs>